Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. Well, my name's Mark, if I haven't met you, and it's good to be here, and it's good to be opening God's Word. I wanted to share from the Word today, and also uh, I wanted to share a few things that uh, I felt sort of God saying this week, and things that I've observed in the last sort of week. I went to Perth this week, the mystical hidden kingdom, uh, cut off from the rest of the world, like Bhutan, which uh, I finally got to travel to, and uh, uh, first of all, uh, Rob Reimer has done a bit of ministry there, and people were like, you've got Rob Reimer coming. Get ready. It's going to be really good. Like Everyone's like, Rob Reimer's coming. I was like, wow, okay, cool. I'm very excited. Uh, so make sure you come. Make sure you sign up. Uh, the second thing was, now I've sort of uh, obviously speak around a little bit and haven't in the last two and a half years, obviously because of travel and the pandemic, and then have been sort of getting around. And you notice different places are more affected uh, by the last two years. And so much of the preaching that we did was calibrated to being here in Melbourne and what we went through here in Melbourne. Um, so my image as I was preparing to go and speak in Perth is I have to recalibrate because Perth did not go through what Melbourne went through. I have burnt in my mind the image, um, I think it was from the 2021 grand final, uh, where just before the grand final, obviously it wasn't in Melbourne, and that was a big thing for Melbourne, and uh, worship was at another temple. And uh, I remember, I think it was a drone shot just before the grand final, it was like Perth, and we were in lockdown, it was like winter, and it was, uh, you know, like all coming out of winter, it was just like, you know, the deepest of the lockdown, where sort of everyone was exhausted, and you sort of turn on the grand final pre-coverage, and there was this drone shot sort of going through uh, like these people eating together and sun and people smiling and laughing. And it, and it just felt like they were rubbing it in our faces. I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they're just having the best time of their lives. So my impression going to Perth was like, I've got to calibrate this. You guys have been living in the mystical kingdom, uh, living without COVID, shut yourself off from the world, living your best lives. So I have to sort of teach like I did in 2019. But what I was really surprised was, was, getting there and, and hearing the stories with a much more minimal lockdown than what we went through. Uh, so much of the last two years, just living your best life. Uh, and this sense that even still in Perth, churches that have lost 30, 40% of their congregations, good churches, uh, churches that are struggling with giving, like uh, churches here in Melbourne. And it just made me realise there was this sense that people are looking for renewal. I, a few weeks ago, preached here and we preached on how do we move out of languishing to flourishing. We ended the service with two gates, which people walked through, two olive trees, to sort of walk out of this season Melbourne's been in. And I was sharing with this with some of the leaders at the conference I was at. And what was fascinating was they were like, can, can you do that here? I'm like, no, no, this is a Melbourne lockdown thing. We're in it for two years. You guys don't understand. And they were like, no, 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 no. We, we need to walk out of this season. And it's just like strange. I'm like, hang on. This, this, is, this is like you guys have been affected too. And so everywhere there's this sense that we need a kind of renewal. I also, in the last sort of 10 years, have spent you know, a lot of my time outside of Red speaking in the US. I don't speak in the Midwest or the South, but really where people start asking me to come and speak or is in cities that tend to be more secular, post-Christian, progressive, cooler hubs like you know, Portland or San Francisco or LA or New York. 
I spoke to two uh, pastor friends who I haven't connected with for a while. And previously, the dynamic was they were in cities where people were just drawn to them like magnets, particularly young adults just moving to these cities. So every year, they just had all these people coming to their cities. It was a place to be. They got to do ministry there, but they also benefited from seeing such a cool place with cafes and culture and just fascinating. Like, it's all changed. Homelessness is just beyond belief. Crime is out of control. Uh, people are leaving our cities. We're no longer the cool place to be where, where no one wants to be. And just this fascinating dynamic where they're now seeing things really differently. They need renewal not just for their churches. They need renewal for their cities. And so the second thing that really struck me this week is that we need deep renewal. Often we talk about a renewal or revival in the church, and what we think by that is a period where people fill the room, worship is turbocharged, the Holy Spirit seems to be really present, and I've seen that, I've experienced that, but then there's a period where it passes, and you look back and you wonder, what was that period? You look back fondly sometimes, but also you look back with a sense like, did it change things? Deep renewal is renewal which builds something. In the book of 2 Kings, we see the evidence of a different kind of renewal. What's happened just before this, we we're going to read it out in a second, but just to set it up, is Israel's moved into the promised land. People of God have found a home, but a series of corrupt kings, a series of the people being unfaithful, worshipping other gods, means that decline sets in. Double-mindedness sets in. The people worship Yahweh, but they also have uh, statues, other idols that they're also worshipping. And so things just get worse and worse and worse. It goes into decline. But then there is this renewal that begins to happen under this King Josiah. And I want to read from uh, 2 Kings 22, verses 4, which is where we're going to start, and I'll read about this particular renewal. Go up to Hilakai, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple. And have these men pay the workers who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they did not account for the money entrusted to them because they're honest, they're, they are honest in their dealings. Now, this doesn't sound like a renewal. This doesn't sound like the heady days of a revival or awakening. It sounds like the accounts of stuff getting built, boring administration, infrastructure repair. But always in Scripture, we've got to understand there's more going on. We've got to understand the hyperlinks, the maladies that are repeated. So let's read on. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I found the book of the law in the temple to the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. There's something happening here. What is the temple? This is not just about the building of a building. First of all, you've got to ask the question, why is the temple gone into disrepair? The temple is the place where humanity meets with God, where heaven and earth overlap, where the worshipping community of the people of God gather. So first of all, worship has been neglected. The temple is falling apart. No one has cared for the temple, which is an indicator that no one is caring for God. The double-mindedness means that their efforts have more been into the world than actually their relationship with God. Secondly, they find the scriptures, the Torah, the book of the law. 
What's interesting is it's not that it's been stolen. It's not that it's hidden somewhere and they just needed an Indiana Jones to find it because of this great thing of worth had been taken and placed somewhere. Now, actually, they completely forgotten about it. It's just left in some cupboard somewhere, some drawer in complete neglect in some sort of bureaucratic wing of the temple. People have forgotten. They've fallen out of a pattern. Then Shapan, the secretary, went to the king, King Josiah, and reported to him, your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. So it begins with the sort of boring administrative stuff. Then the Shapan, the secretary, informed the king, also Hilakai, the priest, has given me a book. Just the word of God that's been forgotten for ages. And Shapan read it, read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. In Hebrew culture, the tearing of robes is a mourning. It's a grief. This is repentance. This is a realization that something crucial has been forgotten. To understand this passage, we have to also understand that something similar to this happened 10 chapters earlier. A previous king, King Joash, had also instigated a similar kind of renewal. What he had realized, and we can put the um, text up, we won't read it all, (coughs) that what he'd done was they'd been trying to renew things. They'd been trying to turn things around. But what they were doing, you see in the second paragraph there, is they're more just buying better trumpets. They're buying, you know, sort of polishing the bowls. They're buying wick trimmers, essential items in a renewal. They're buying all of this stuff, but really what this is, it's just buying stuff which is just like, you know when they're selling a house at the moment and there's a house and you pay someone to come in and they make your house look absolutely fantastic and they come and they redo your house and they've got like, you know, these sort of uh, designers that come in and do interior decoration and it looks fantastic. That's in a sense what they're trying to do. But what, what Joash also does is brings in key workers, craftsmen, builders, stonemasons, people who are actually going to deal with the key structural issues that are the problem. So this is not about window dressing. This is about getting to the key structures that are in play. Now, there's also another link here, another malady that's being repeated that as the people of God were leaving Egypt, as they were leaving being in captivity, and they're in the wilderness, and God first built a tabernacle before he built a temple. In Exodus 31, verses 1 to 3, it speaks of the way that God came upon these particular craftspeople, these builders, these tradies with the Holy Spirit. Tradies are the first people who get the Holy Spirit in the, in the, in the, in the Bible. And so this is also an indication that when you see tradesmen, craftsmen, stonemasons get involved, something is happening spiritually. So we have people anointed by God with a mantle of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit upon them, and we're dealing with some deep structural change. This is deep renewal. It's the second thing I learned this week. God's not just calling us to a renewal. He's calling us to a deep renewal. A deep renewal, which doesn't just bring in new shinier bowls and better wick cutters. 
God's actually asking us to rebuild the key structures of what it is to be the people of God. Now, the third thing I learned was that we are doing this at a particular time when a particular challenge comes against this work of renewal. Flying back from Perth, I got on the plane. Flying at the moment's a bit crazy with all the pressures and things aren't like they used to be. Sometimes flights are okay, but lots go wrong now. There's less people on the job. There's more stuff going wrong. Supply chain issues, undermanned, understaffed. And so this flight was a little bit delayed and it was packed because there's less flights going. Prices have gone up. Flight crews are under more pressure. And so they'd asked us to take our, our, our baggage and place it underneath, even our hand luggage, because it was just such a packed flight. Every seat was taken. I was sitting on the aisle, except the seat across the aisle to me. Now, just as we're sitting there, the, the young lady on my left, who's uh, in the middle seat, basically says she can't work her entertainment platform. The entertainment platform seemingly is not working on hers. She tells the stewardess, and they said they'll reset the entertainment platforms. So we're about to take off, and then finally this passenger comes down the aisle in a bit of a kerfuffle, and she's coming down the aisle, and she's putting her bag under her seat. But as she's doing this, it's very clear that her awareness of me is not great because she's bending over, and it's a sermon, so I don't get into detail, but there is incredible high proximity between what she sits on and my head, like, like this. So I'm caught in that horrible thing of like trying to not come into contact with the back of her jeans. And then also not leaning into the young lady, like, hi, how are you going? Yes, this, I'm still trying to keep that, that buffer zone in both directions. And this is like, not just like, yeah, you got the thing under there. Like this seemed to like, went on for several minutes. I'm just like, just get your thing underneath. Non-anxious presence. Just wrote a book on it. <sighs> Breathe. So we take off, and it becomes clear that not just the lady next to me on my left is having problems with her entertainment platform, but all across the plane, people's entertainment platforms are not working. One of the longer flights in Australia, people want to watch their movies. Anyway, the stewardesses are running around, and everyone's asking to have theirs reset. It's a bit of chaos. This goes on for about 45 minutes. But this is when it begins. The lady on my right, across from the aisle, complains. She starts complaining. She, first of all, she's complaining about her seat. She doesn't want to be in this particular seat. And she has this complaint. I'm thinking, would you hurry up? I'm sitting here. I want to read my book. I just want to zone out. Had a, had a, a week of speaking. And finally, this complaint stops. Get on with reading. They make an announcement that everyone's platform's not working. Entertainment platforms, they're really sorry. They're under pressure. Quick turnaround, whatever. I don't know what's going on. And that means that the... Uh, dinner service will be delayed. I felt sorry for the crew. You can just see their stress. They just land. They've got to do another one. It's a really high-pressure job sometimes. The woman complains again. This time she's complaining about the entertainment platform not working. She complains and complains and complains. It's not just a little complaint. Now, there's people who sort of carry on. They've had a bit too much to drink, a bit of a tear away. But this woman didn't have that. She had the very educated, well-spoken power passive-aggressive speaking happening. <laughs> and she was like, well, this is actually, I paid for this and this needs to happen. And, and you see she's just, just, just complaining, complaining. She complains again, third time. We're now well into the flight. 
and a lot of this time has been taken up with her complaining as the flight crew are trying to deal with everyone. And she basically talks about how her iPad is not working, the different social media platforms that she wants to interact with because she can't use the entertainment platform in the back of her seat. She wants the social media platforms on the, in her iPad, and that's not working as well. It's not charging. At this point, non anxious presence. <laughs> Lady, just let it go. <laughs> just sit there. Just relax. People throughout history have had to sit there for periods. You're not going to die. It's okay. Then they're trying to do the dinner service. She begins to complain again. I hear the manager is called. She calls the manager. The manager comes forward. She's complaining. She's speaking. And the manager says, look, we're going to fully refund you your flight. That's pretty good. <laughs> Can I have it too? And... You know, I thought, surely this, this is going to satisfy him. No. I lost count. We had three or four more complaints, continually calling the stewardess, the manager, forward, while they're trying to, like, put all the trays in and collect almost within 20 minutes before we land. I'm just, lady, stop complaining. But then it got weird. It got weird in the sense where her final big complaint, she says to one of the stewardesses, I need you to get the manager immediately. The stewardess is between two carts, like... You're going to have to wait. So we're coming close to landing, finally gets the manager, and this is her final big hurrah of complaints. I booked a ticket on this airline, and I expect something. I expect that I will be able to go to a place in my mind of relaxation. I will be able to go to a place in my mind where I have relaxation, it's stress-free, and I have good feelings in my mind, and I'm not experiencing that on this flight. Okay, and that's why I paid for this ticket. Yeah, the ticket that you're getting refunded, lady. Anyway, and she says, I should be able to look at the entertainment platform. I should be able to have my social media platforms on my phone, on my iPad. I don't have this. You've not provided this for me. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's, that's intense. Then it gets more intense. She says, and do you know what? I believe that I am being treated like no one else is being treated on this flight. Well, like everyone's platforms has gone out, and yours hasn't. I have been victimised by your flight crew. This is insane. She keeps complaining, and basically we land, and I'm like, that was intense. And what I realised was, this lady was the distillation of a mood, an attitude that has grown in our culture, which sees services institutions, companies, schools, government, nay, even churches, as things which are platforms to deliver me stress-free living, pleasure, good feelings. That all of these things exist as kind of platforms to elevate my needs and desires. That you all exist to create, not you all, the institutions of this world all exist to make me feel stressful, and not just provide for me, but literally give me no problems in the world. Her, her little comment, which seems intense of, your job is to provide with me a stress-filled, relaxing place for me to go in my mind. That sounds intense, this one lady saying that, but how many of us actually have bought that at times? And what I realized is, 
that what our world has become is like these platforms. One, there's the platforms that we expect all these institutions and organizations and stuff in the world to, to do, which is to serve our needs and to do it in a way that's not going to upset us, stress us, or give us any negative feelings. University, workplace, Netflix, mobile phone services, person at the bank, the supermarket staff. And we increasingly see these extreme examples where people are like, crazy, going crazy at people because they didn't get served in a particular way. People fill Facebook pages, WhatsApp groups. If you're, if you're a teacher, they've now got to deal with these WhatsApp group of parents just complaining about the most inane things. But this is symbolic of a, an ideology, a vision of human flourishing in which our individual desires must be met. And not only must be met, but if they're not met, it's not just seen as our desires not being met, it's actually seen as us kind of not receiving some kind of validation. What she was saying is, this flight crew exists to see me, serve me in a particular way, and when that does not happen, that's actually an offense or an assault upon me. Now, she was not aware that they're just trying to do a job. They're stressed. It's not the highest paying job in the world. They're just trying to get people safely from one place to another. They're going to do hijacking training, and crazy stuff like this. Like, they do not exist to create a nice space in your mind. But this is what actually has been created in our society, that everything exists as a platform, but also you're on a platform, and you're building a platform. And what is a platform? I'm on a platform now. A platform is something which you build up to elevate something. So our culture tells us, build a platform, elevate your needs, be seen. When you're seen, you'll be validated. When people truly see you, then you're validated. This is the complaint you often hear, I, I, I wasn't seen. They don't really see me. Now, sometimes that's legitimate, but very often it's now spreading into the place where it's illegitimate because in a culture of radical individualism, everyone can't build a platform. If everyone's on a platform, we've got a problem. So we've reached a kind of peak platform mentality. Now, what's interesting as well this is happening at a moment when flight crews are stressed. Why? Because there's less flights, because there's supply chain issues, because fuel has gone up because of the war in Ukraine, because we're now going into an economic crisis. We have crisis in the world. And what we have is, if you've been raised, particularly in the last 30 years, you've been raised with an ideology which is said, and even if you haven't been raised in the last 30 years, you've picked this up most likely, where what we have is, this platform mentality, but it's happening now at the same time that institutions are struggling and buckling because our world is heading into a kind of crisis. The global system built as a platform to serve our needs and make our lives smooth is actually starting to creak and break apart in places. The global system built, we thought, to serve our needs is running aground. And that's only going to increase. So peak platform mentality at the same time when the world's ability to serve our needs is actually falling short. So all of this is in my head as I'm driving back from the airport. But then I remembered something, and it just, it just struck me. If you fly on Qantas now, when you land, and I don't know if they've brought this in since the pandemic, but I've only noticed, I've mean, done a few flights since the pandemic, that if you fly Qantas and you land, wherever you land in Australia, they do the classic, you know, welcome to 
Brisbane, the temperature is 24 degrees. Welcome to Melbourne, it's minus seven. Um, you have all the Queenslanders like, oh, don't wear shorts to Melbourne in winter. Um, then what they do is an acknowledgement to country. And they will say, you know, the, 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 the indigenous nation and tribal group and, and welcome. And then they say this line. We've probably all heard it many, many times. They will say, and we want to pay our respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. And I was thinking about this as I drove home. And I thought, we're in this moment, we're in a national conversation about recognition of Indigenous voices. And even to the point where uh, Walid Ali, uh, the columnist in the, in the Sydney Morning Herald of the Age, wrote a column recently saying, if Australia was to not be a monarchy, maybe one model, instead of like an American presidential thing, is we could actually have a position which is like, instead of the queen or king, have a, a national Indigenous elder. Interesting proposal. And I thought about this, I thought, hang on. So why do we have this weird division where Indigenous people, and if you're an Indigenous person or you understand Indigenous culture, there's this key role that elders play. And I'm going to read to you actually a definition I got off of what is an elder in the Indigenous community. It says this, elders are the spiritual and moral leaders of Aboriginal people and play a tremendous role in the community. Elders are those who teach younger generations and who pass on stories and knowledge. Elders are individuals who have a deep connection with their heritage and live their lives by examples of traditional principles, morals and teachings. An elder's central role is to instill Aboriginal teaching in the community. Now, non-Indigenous people hear that, yeah, that's fantastic. Isn't that great? Isn't that a rich culture? Isn't that really important for the flourishing of Indigenous culture? But then we've got this weird, divided mind where we're in a culture which, if you're in Indigenous culture, non-Indigenous culture, globalised culture, Western culture, developed world culture, 21st century consumer culture, whatever the heck you want to call it, does not build elders. We don't actually build people who have a moral sense of spiritually teaching other people. And we don't see that that is some kind of contradiction. I think rightfully, we're acknowledging Indigenous elders, brilliant. But also, why do only some communities seem to appreciate them? And why does Western contemporary culture ignore them? And I began to think about it as I was driving. What's another word for an elder? How would I put that in language? You've got some concepts of elders in the church, and maybe you had elders at a church as you were growing up or whatever. And maybe just think of it as someone really old. But I thought what an elder is, is someone who is a pillar of a community. A pillar of a community. What's a pillar of a community? A pillar of a community is someone, is a person of wisdom, strength, reliability, and character whose personhood acts as a supportive structure for a community. So brilliant. That's essentially very similar to the indigenous definition of an elder. But why don't we have an appreciation for that in non-Indigenous culture? So what's a, what's a pillar? A pillar is a role, but it's different than a role that if you just put on a police uniform or you just put on a McDonald's uniform or, I don't know, if you work as a clown, put on a clown's uniform. A pillar is actually a role, but it's also an overflow of character. 
People who, in cultures which respect and have elders, people who don't have the morality and character of an elder don't get to become elders. Just being old does not make you an elder. Just being old does not give you wisdom. So pillars are people who have a combination of a role and a character. And interestingly too, people who are pillars or elders emerge from a process of formation. You don't just put the uniform on one day and, hey, here I am. Now, I began to think, why don't we create pillars in our culture anymore? I think we once did. Now, we have to understand that many of the institutions that exist in our culture were once filled with people who were pillars, both in the church and outside the church. So to understand this, real quick, a society is made up of institutions, and I've got a really broad definition of institutions here. What are institutions? Organizations. Institutions are groups of people who come together to focus their effort towards a goal of flourishing. They do this by repeatedly doing actions together that live out the vision that they are moving to go towards together. When we join an institution and commit to it, it shapes us to become the kind of person which achieves its goals. Institutions mold us to become pillars of our community and that institution. Human embodiments of the vision of flourishing that institution is striving for. So we join an institution towards a goal, but the institution makes us into the kinds of people who can help achieve that goal, and others get there. This is truest in the institution that God chooses to birth and partner with the church. Now, why is this breaking down? Why is this falling apart? Because the platform mentality is now colliding with institutions. Yuval Levin, American writer, says this. We've moved, roughly speaking, from thinking of institutions as molds that shape people's character and habits towards seeing them as platforms that allow people to display themselves before a wider world. He gives the example when he's writing about this of a journalist instead of like, I'm coming to this newspaper because I want to I discover the truth and I want to write stories which help this newspaper and I want to learn to be a journalist versus now, the journalist is like, if I get that columnist position at that paper, that's great for my social media profile and I'll become a star and one day I'll move on and write a book and become famous. We now say institutions are simply platforms to elevate us and our individual agenda with little regard for the institution. We swapped out elders and pillars for celebrities and influencers. Instead of seeking, of building a life in which we become a pillar and taking that journey with others, we now just seem to seek to build a lifestyle which accumulates not wisdom, but cool experiences. We seek, instead of being shaped by others towards being a pillar, to actually turning others into simply mirrors who will feed back to us messages of affirmation about the individual self that we're creating. So that's number one reason. We've swapped out pillars for platforms. Secondly, we've also fallen into this paternalistic understanding where we still want pillars, but we just don't want to be them. We, like a child, loves the pillars. We love the parent who brings us food. We love the teacher who provides a classroom for us. We love the fact that we can live in a community where other people do the stuff and other people be pillars. But when we don't take responsibility, that just leaves us in a childlike state of development. Or we become like teenagers 
living under the benefits of the pillars of paternal care, but rebelling against, at the same time, the very pillars which support us. So we want pillars still. We don't want them gone. We want pillars for support and often at the same time blame. We need to change our framework of understanding. Pillars are absolutely essential to deep renewal. Now listen to this. Let's read on in 2 Kings chapter 23. King Josiah called together all of the elders, the pillars of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord, again, which the stonemasons, the builders, the craftspeople have been building. Went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood where by the pillar. The pillar. This moment happens because quietly some stonemason, some builder, some craftsman, some carpenter has actually repaired over probably months done the hard yards, not in an event process, not as a cool experience, but just being in there, rebuilding everything, restructuring, renovating, renewing. And that hidden work at this moment then comes into clear focus. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands statues and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. And then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. We have pillars coming together. We have pillars being built. The word is then rediscovered and proclaimed, and the people re-covenant themselves to God. To be a pillar, you've also got to be in relationship with God. So in this season of renewal and rebuilding that we as the church, we as the world find ourselves in, we must change our mentality from seeing the church as something which simply serves our needs to seeing the church as something which molds us into the kinds of people who can serve God with all our lives. By doing that, we also serve the world. So what if we had a significant change of framework with how we understand our lives. A mental change that is going to have fundamental importance, where we move from constructing, and you've been let down by the world and the ideology of the world, which has taught you that you're meant to be a platform builder, that the world is simply a platform to serve you. And what if we actually move to being pillars? That's the first thing, to make a mental change, a heart change. In the first passage, the king ripped his clothes in an act of repentance. Repentance is repenting of our sins. But in the New Testament, the word for repentance is also metanoia, which means a root and branch change, a change of direction. This is the Greek definition of metanoia. I'm heading in this direction, and I make a 180 change, and now head in this direction. It's thinking completely differently, changing your mental patterns. So we need to do that. Instead of heading towards creating a life of platform, cool experiences, people seeing me too, I'm actually going to become a pillar. I'm going to submit to this process. Secondly, by becoming a pillar, there's something I think that that indigenous definition 
and being an elder or a pillar of the Indigenous community gives us. The actual definition said that you're a custodian of tradition and knowledge. In any culture, there is this passing down of the traditions from those who went before you, taking them, recognizing what is worth, the wisdom, the stuff that's enabled that culture to flourish, taking that from those who are passing, the wise, the previous pillars, the previous elders, taking that from them, taking that, nurturing it, nourishing it, building it, becoming that, and then living your life not as just like, well, this is the answer, ha-ha, but actually realizing that you exist as part of a relay chain you're part of the 400 meters relay at the Olympics, and your job is not the 100 meters by yourself. We're not running the 100 meters by ourselves, where you're the star who crosses the finish line. You are a link in a chain as the people of God. So you nurture it and you grow it. But also, as you get to the second half of your life, you're starting to hand it over. It's less about you, it's others. It's handing this over to others, and then you pass on to the next generation. Our world just simply sees it as the 100 meters, not the relay. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Why are we doing in this few months up to Advent so many prayer meetings, some of which a bunch of people turn up to, some one person turns up to? Because that is one of the ancient paths that if you look at the history of the church, if you look at the history of awakening, revival, renewal, it always turns on prayer. One of the great revivals happened in Wall Street in the 19th century when there was a recession, very similar to the moment we're in, where people could see a recession coming, which came a global recession, which actually turned our city around from one of the richest cities in the world to the poverty bubble burst in Melbourne, had huge influence here, that recession. And in New York, a bunch of stockbrokers stock and Wall Street investors got together and said, hang on, we see something coming. We've got to readjust our focus from just the stock market back to God. They started gathering in a room. This is the New York Stock Exchange. And out of that prayer meeting, a whole renewal began. That's an ancient way. When you go back to the ancient ways of prayer, faithfulness, turning from your idols, giving your whole heart to God, worshipping, sharing God's news, getting together with other people and opening the scriptures and championing each other on, how can we build something different? Stand in the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Red's mission is to remind you of the ancient paths. For us at this moment to be a carrier of that, what we see in scripture behind us in the great men and women of God to take that, be that, but then also to pass this on to the next generation. Deep renewal is when our great, great grandkids are changed. Thirdly, one thing that I think we get wrong is that we can look to other pillars to do all the stuff for us so that we can have a rest. We can live that life like the woman said on the flight. Your job is to make me feel peaceful in my mind, is what she was saying. I want to rest and I can't do that because this flight crew, this entertainment platforms, they're not doing it for me. My iPad is not charged. It's not doing it for me. She's looking at other pillars. She wants the other pillars there. She doesn't want to tear them down. She'll have a go at them, but she wants the pilot to still fly the plane. She's going to be sitting on the tarmac and where's the pilot? Well, he's gone to the pub. She still wants the pillars, 
But we can fall into the, another mentality that the world gives us, which is, it's great there's pillars, you don't have to become one, but if you become a pillar, you're not going to get to rest. It's responsibility. It's hard work. It's commitment. All stuff, the ideology of our world has told us to fear. But what does God's word say? God's word says this, stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Stop looking for pillars only. They're just going to create a life of learned helplessness. Become a pillar. Why? Because it's also the place of rest. And lastly, this thing that we're doing here, what we're doing in church, what we've realized in this city, what life is like when you don't have people around you, what we've realized in this city when there's disconnection, when you're not in community, when you can't just see people like you want to, we lose something. And I think we've lost something in the church when what we see is church is an event, it's something simply here to entertain us or serve us. What church is, is a social environment of pillar formation. Now, different churches have different concepts of what an elder is. I'm not even talking about that. I'm not saying there's 12 people in here who could be the elders of Red Church. I'm saying that actually what God is calling people to is everyone in this room is actually called to be a pillar. The designs that God has on your life is for you to become the kind of person who's a pillar in your church, in your street, in your workplace, amongst your friends and family here in our nation to actually be a pillar, a supportive structure filled with morality and goodness and wisdom and God's presence. Structures, if you think about what is being built in the Old Testament, pillars are part of the structure that enables God's presence to come in. And sometimes I wonder if people want a kind of revival where they just feel God's presence, but they're not willing to be a pillar, which is when God's presence dwells and stays. We're at a moment. We're at a moment of rebuilding. We need a renewal. We need a deep renewal. We need a rebuilding. And God is calling you, whoever you are in this room, whatever your capabilities, whatever your past, God is calling you to be a pillar. It's going to look different, different people. You're made differently, different gifts, different talents, incredible stuff. God is asking you to direct that not towards the creation of a personal platform, but to actually become a pillar in the structure that he's building in the world. This incredible living temple made not of stone, but of human flesh partnering with God's spirit. Let's stand and pray. God, expand our vision of what your church is. We want to ask your forgiveness for when we've just seen church as a bringer of events and entertainment and experiences. God, we want to be molded to become the kinds of pillars which are filled with your goodness, your holiness, your justice, your mercy, your presence, your faithfulness. God, we repent of the ways in which our understanding of self has been warped by the world. God, tear down the platforms that we've built, that are built on simply our own agenda. And instead, God, repurpose that material to create us to be 
pillars. Pillars, oaks of righteousness. Holy Spirit, change our minds, renew our minds. We place the faulty thoughts down. We recognise that you've called each person in this room, knitted them in their mother's wombs, set them apart from the ways of the world. We're not called to self-create. We're actually called to be recreated by you. You gave your son upon the cross so that we would not have to die as a gift of grace. And so now we get to walk with you, new creations filled with your spirit. Shape us into who you want us to be. 